Welcome to all those who may be uh, new with us here at the 2.30 service and, and also those who might be new uh, to this series, the Four Square Gospel that we're looking at uh, this month. And uh, to make sure I don't forget, congratulations to all those who are being baptized. Why don't you give it a hand to them today? We're looking forward to that. We're looking this month at what defines really the heart of Pentecostalism. And for some of you may think, oh, what's, that's all, what's that all about? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. The Pentecostals are the, the fastest growing movement within Christianity, and KT is a, a pioneering Pentecostal church. You belong to a Pentecostal church, amen? And, um, and so in this series, we, we get to explore what a, a Pentecostal church looks like, what is a Pentecostal, Pentecostal Christian, but more than that, what do Pentecostals believe? That's what this whole month is really about. We as Pentecostal believers, we have deep roots. We have a, a rich heritage that goes back all those 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. And so God is calling us back to what got us here. We need to rediscover our roots. And you might say, well, how important are roots? Well, just as roots are crucial to the growth of a tree, uh, the, the church of today must stay connected to its roots of the past. And so, of course, we're looking back to the early church, Acts 2. What are these roots? Well, it's not only that all of the Holy Spirit's activity that was so powerful and prevalent during the early church, but also the message that they preached. The message that they preached, this full gospel message, this message that was all centered on Jesus Christ. The early church was all about Jesus Christ, about His presence, about His power, about His mission. And so it was centered on Him. It was centered on Him as the Savior, as the as the healer, as the baptizer, as the coming king. And they lived as if Jesus' return was imminent, that he could come any day. And so there was an urgency in getting this message out to the world. And so when we talk about returning to our roots, we are acknowledging that we must encourage each other to redig the wells, redig the wells of the gospel that they preached. In the early church, getting rid maybe of some of the old stuff that we've believed, some of the rubbish that we've believed, and redigging the ancient truths of, of doctrine and theology that, we, that we're looking at this month. And, and so the Holy Spirit is, is wonderful because He is able to reawaken those truths in our heart. Amen? He's able to reawaken the things that we're looking at this month. And so that we can actually be, of course, a voice to this generation, that we can have a message to this world. And this is what the Holy Spirit has done throughout church history. If we look back into the 16th century, there was the Protestant Reformation, the Great Reformation, where God raised up a man called Martin Luther, who preached a message to the church about justification by faith and the, the priesthood of all believers. And so this was a message and a reminder to the church of what justification by faith is all about. It's about salvation. Later on, even into the 18th century, we have the great Methodist movement where uh, God raised up a man called uh, John Wesley. Not just him, his brother, Charles Wesley. And, uh, and so they were traveling all over the place. And so they carried a message of sanctification and holiness. It became a holiness movement. And so the Holy Spirit has done this periodically during the church history. He has reminded us of certain truths that go right back 
to the early church. And this is what happened in the early 1900s. We're going to look at that just for a few moments when the Pentecostal movement began. When God moved in a place called Topeka, Kansas, not far away from where I used to live, but where God visited a college called Bethel Bible College, which was started by someone called Charles Parham. He's known as the great father of Pentecostalism. And uh, Charles and his students, they discovered something, that there was a, a missing link in the chain in all of their teachings. They believed that Jesus, of course, was the Savior, that he was the sanctifier, and and that he was a healer and and coming king. But they asked, what about Acts 2? What about Acts 2? What about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we looked at a couple of weeks ago? Where is that as part of our spiritual experience? And so they set aside some time to, to pursue this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is how it all happened. And soon enough, a woman called Agnes was baptized in the Holy Spirit at that college with evidence, of course, of speaking in tongues. And then Charles Parham, the, the, the senior of the, of the Bible college, received this baptism of the Holy Spirit with tongues following. And then many more in the college and then eventually thousands. And then eventually someone called William Seymour. Maybe you've heard of him before. William Seymour was an African-American preacher based in Los Angeles, where he got really enthusiastic about what was going on, and he came into touch with, with Charles Parham to hear him preach. And, uh, and then, of course, he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, in Los Angeles in 1906, God came and baptized many, many people in the Holy Spirit. Amen. With signs and wonders following, with tongues. And so, of course, this was a movement. This began the Pentecostal movement that started to spread throughout the world. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is healer, baptizer, and coming king. Coming king that we looked at last week. And so this is a message that is really important for us as Pentecostals to understand about. I want to encourage you, if any of you have an interest in this, to to do your research and find out what our roots are all about. Because our roots are really important where we came from. And so this has formed our Pentecostal roots right from the beginning, during the early 1900s. This is what formed the message of George Jeffries, who pioneered the Elim movement that KT belongs to. And if you study even a little bit more, going into a little bit of history, of course, just to start off with today, but if you study a little bit more, you'll actually see that there are Pentecostal-type experiences that people had even before the 1900s, that during the 1800s, people speaking in tongues and And so today, Pentecostals are Christians who believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in that? You believe in speaking in tongues. And so this is a subsequent, of course, we believe this is a subsequent experience that happens after conversion. uh, Or other supernatural activity takes place when that happens, like the, the gift of prophecy. And this is really what the Pentecostals' main contribution to the church was. The focus on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and tongues. But I say all this to say that what makes you a Pentecostal is not necessarily all that you have experienced, but what you believe. You may be one, of course, who speaks in in tongues. You may be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But being a Pentecostal is also about the message that you carry. You carry the message of Pentecost. You have a message, of course, that is relevant 
for the world, just as it was in Acts 2. And so it might be said today that the Pentecostal movement and the charismatic movement might be more concerned sometimes about the experience. Of course, we believe in the experience, but believe in the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the, the showing off of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But as Pentecostals, it's important for all of us to also embrace the full gospel message, which is Jesus is the Savior, He is the healer, the baptizer, and the coming King. The term Pentecostal was taken from the day of Pentecost, experience of chapter 2, verse 4 in Acts, but it birthed a message. That Jesus is not only the baptizer, but he is the savior. Amen. And a healer. And he's a coming king. He's coming soon. And so this is what really defines our Pentecostal theology. This is what uh, defines the heart of Pentecostalism, this fourfold gospel. A woman of God uh, back in the mid-1900s called uh, Amy Simple McPherson summarized it like this. She said that Jesus saves according to John 3.16. So God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that scripture. Um, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit according to Acts 2 verse 4. Jesus heals bodies. He heals our bodies according to James 5. He talks in James 5 about healing. And Jesus is coming again according to 1 Thessalonians Four. And so this is all backed up by Scripture. Maybe you want those references. John 3.16, Acts 2.4, James 5.14, and 1 Thessalonians 4. And so that leads us today to looking at our last topic uh, to conclude this series on the 4-4 gospel as Jesus our healer. Jesus our healer. I would like to uh, encourage you to look at Exodus 15.26. Exodus 15, 26. Our earliest record of healing in the Bible is found in this scripture where God personally introduced himself to the people of Israel as Yahweh Rapha. Or if we go by the song that we sing sometimes, Jehovah Rapha. And that means the Lord who heals you. God says, I am the Lord who heals you. Even today, he says, I am the Lord who heals you. And this was a big deal because God, of course, had just come on the scene and he, was, um, he showed them that he was their savior by delivering them, of, of course, from the slavery to Egypt. This was a picture of salvation. He led them through the Red Sea. And then as they're on their way to the promised land, God says he's also their healer too. And so throughout the Old Testament from there, we see that God is not just into saving people. God is into healing people. And so the word Yahweh Rapha is used about 60 times, around about 60 times in the Old Testament. And it means these things. It means to restore. It means to, to heal. It means to cure. And that, of course, can mean physically. That might mean emotionally. That, that might mean spiritually. And Rapha um, is also the technical word for the word physician. The word physician. And that name, of course, is uh, not too uncommon to KT uh, because KT became renowned for this uh, name a number of years ago as the church of the great physician, and uh, because of the many healing signs and wonders that took place here in this place. Isn't that great? And if you want to do research on that, there's plenty of it to find out more of what happened. But going back into the Old Testament, we'll say we're looking at this word Rapha. In the Old Testament, for example, even 1 and 2 Kings, it records um, how God used the specially anointed prophets to bring healing. You remember Elisha in the Bible? 
Uh, Elisha was uh, one of the greatest Old Testament prophets, and so he did all kinds of different healings uh, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And of course, you remember the story where he told that army general, Naaman, remember him? And he went and told him to go and humble himself and bathe in the river seven times to be healed. And what happens? He gets healed. And of course, there were other miracles that Elisha did. This prophet, who, who he laid, on one time he laid his body on a dead boy, and he came back to life. And so they even did weird things back in the Old Testament to see people getting healed. And five times in the Old Testament, it's recorded God healed barren women so that they could have children. Four times God healed plagues brought on by sin. Three times he raised the dead. This is just in the Old Testament. And so God, throughout the Old Testament, he revealed himself as a healer. This is not just a New Testament thing. God revealed himself in the Old Testament as a healer. And so how did these these healings happen? Well, sometimes it happened through repentance. Sometimes it happened through obedience uh, or maybe intercession. But the prophets didn't just go around everywhere trying to seek for people to heal. No, they responded to human requests from people, but also they were prompted by the Holy Spirit. God prompted them uh, to, to move in healing. And so later on, you have even King David. Later on in the Old Testament, you have him, the psalmist David, saying in Psalm 103, is another reference, says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his, all of his, The Lord forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. And so forget not your forgiveness. Forget not your salvation. Forget not your healing. Forget not all of his benefits. I wonder how many of you have been reminded of been thinking about the benefits that you have in the gospel, through the gospel. And so David, of course, knew about God's forgiveness, but he also knew that God is not just interested in forgiveness and and salvation and saving. He's also into healing. God, by nature, is a healing God. Healing did not originate with man. It didn't start with man. It wasn't man's idea. Healing originated in the heart of God. And so behind everything that God ever does in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it reveals a revelation of who he is. And so if God heals somebody, it reveals himself as a healer. If he saves someone, he reveals himself as a savior and so forth. And so then we move on, of course, into the New Testament, where we see healing through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus cried the, Christ, the, the Word made flesh, the one who, of course, came and dwelled among us. I love that scripture in John 1, don't you? Of how Jesus came and he dwelled among us. He was God personified. And so he was the healing Word that came to dwell among us. And so healing was supreme. Healing was supreme in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's actually said that about 65% of Jesus' ministry was healing the sick and delivering people. That's a lot, isn't it? And so, of course, healing people physically, but also, of course, healing people emotionally. He was healing people, healing the brokenhearted. It's been said that Jesus' ministry can be divided into probably three sections. Uh, one third can be that it was devoted to preaching and teaching. The other uh, third was given to healing. And the other third was deliverance ministry. And so, in fact, there are about 3,000, I was just looking at this today, but there's about 3,779 verses in the four Gospels. And 727 of them are devoted to Jesus' healing ministry. So that's one-fifth, just a little over one-fifth 
of all the verses in the, in the, in the Gospels that are devoted to Jesus' healing. There are about 20 healing accounts that are recorded in the Gospels of Jesus' healing. So some that are unique to certain Gospel writers. Uh, but all four are packed, especially Matthew's Gospel, are packed with these accounts of Jesus healing people. And of course we know that Jesus did way more than even the Gospels actually record. Acts 10.38. Come with me there, please. Acts 10.38. This is a wonderful verse that really sums up what Jesus' ministry was all about. Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Isn't it interesting that of all that Peter could have said about Jesus' ministry, he focused on his doing good and his healing people. In his three years of ministry, Jesus' ministry can be characterized by doing good and healing people. There in Acts 10 verse 38. And so this is how it all started. God the Father anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. He commissioned him at his baptism. Uh, up until this point, there were no healings. There were no miracles. Jesus waited, of course, um, until he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so we have God the Father, who is the anointer. Here at this baptism, he is the anointer. We have Jesus Christ, who is the anointed. And we have the Holy Spirit, who is the anointing. So that's all functioning at the baptism, but that's also flowing, of course, throughout Jesus' ministry. And in Luke 4, 16 to 30, we read that Jesus is in the synagogue after this. And, um, and just to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy that was given by Isaiah, he says these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Again, this is Luke 4, uh, 16 to 30. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And those wonderful words. And so Jesus is now on the scene. Jesus is the prophet of all prophets, the king of all kings, this person that everybody's been waiting for, this Messiah, the king of all kings, the priest of all priests, is now ministering in the Spirit. And so as a result of being filled with the Spirit, he is now healing the brokenhearted. He is now setting the oppressed free and now giving sight to the blind. He's performing all these signs and wonders. And, and what this says to us is this, that, is that these are the kinds of signs that accompany those who are filled with the Spirit. In other words, if you're not filled with the Spirit, those kind of signs don't happen. They happen because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I believe it was Andrew Murray, not the tennis player, of course, but one of the great pre-Pentecostal teachers, he said this, that wherever the Spirit acts with power, there he works divine healings. If divine healing is seen but rarely in our day, we can attribute it to no other cause but that the Spirit does not act with power. And so we're exploring healing. We're looking at Old Testament, New Testament, looking how that applies for us today. But one thing we, we must encourage ourselves to remember is that the basic principle that the anointing for healing rests on Jesus. It doesn't rest upon a man. It doesn't rest upon a ministry or any television channel. Some people might chase after all kinds of things to try and get healing. They might think they have to pay some money to get healing. But God wants to look to him for healing. Amen. 
And so Jesus is the Christ. That word means anointed. Christ means anointed. He is the anointed one who was anointed by the Father to heal. In other words, Jesus is the healer. And Scripture says that he is the same yesterday, today, and yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. That means that his anointing for healing is the same today just as it was back in the biblical times. And I say this because sometimes today people might be quick to believe that Jesus is our Savior, but not so quick to recognize that Jesus is the healer. For many today, some may, may think that God might be the Lord, your reluctant healer. Many sometimes have misconceptions of God's nature. That might be because of maybe experiences or bad experiences that they've gone through. Thinking that maybe God is some angry person in heaven with a stick who's actually possibly more into actually punishing than he is blessing. Some of us might think that maybe God is not willing to heal. But surely the fact that, that Jesus healed everyone who came to him, who was seeking healing, challenges the whole idea that he's reluctant to heal. Amen? In fact, I love the story in Mark 1. Please come with me there. You can just browse through it as I'm talking. But Mark 1, 40 to, to 45, tells the story of, of how a man covered with leprosy came to Jesus. And you see, because it, back then in Jew, it was Jewish law that um, if you had leprosy, you couldn't, of course, have contact with any people. In fact, they were labeled as leprous by all the, the, you know, the clothes that they wore. And so people recognized them. They had to go around saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, so don't come near me, wherever they went. Imagine what kind of life that would have been like. And so here you have this man, this man who was leprous. He's perhaps all disfigured. He is a, a social outcast. He's rejected who has never approached anyone like this before, but yet he knew that Jesus had all power to heal. And see, here Jesus didn't say to the man when he looked at him, let's just check to see if you are eligible for healing. He didn't say, you know, let's check with the Father to see if you're eligible for healing. Let's just go through a checklist. And Scripture says that the leper said to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus moved with compassion, puts his hand out, and he touched him, and he said, I am willing, be cleansed. And so you, I love this story because you see Jesus touched the man. Many probably would have thought, Jesus, you don't want to do that. It's a little bit too risky. That's a bit dangerous. But Jesus didn't heal him from a distance. He touched him. Jesus did something that the man, of course, had never experienced since the days that he became ill. Imagine the healing that was going on, him, on in him physically. That must have been incredible to see that, but also emotionally. That he's all of a sudden got this human contact all of a sudden for the first time for a long time. And so Jesus was motivated by compassion. What this, that's what the scripture says. Not to gain the crowd's approval or to advertise himself in any way. Jesus is still the same today, friends. Jesus is still the same today. He still has compassion. He still has a desire to touch people's bodies. Amen. But there's another vital reason that we must look at today of why we must be certain, of course, that Jesus is our healer. And that's the power of the cross. The cross is that central point, that central event in history that worked to purchase our salvation and our healing. Amen. Don't you love the cross? The cross was there to purchase our salvation and healing. Now, Jesus 
throughout his earthly ministry was overcoming sin and, and sickness and, and demons. These were like the early rounds of his victory before his final victory on the cross. But throughout Jesus' ministry life, every day was drawing closer to the point where he would go to the cross. Every day was drawing closer to when he would actually come to do what he ultimately came to do, which was to die on the cross for us. And seeing Christ through the cross, God did everything that was necessary to bring salvation and healing. And of course, to deal with the root of, of Satan and evil and sin, things like guilt, sin, sickness and death. And so we need to recognize today as believers what God in Christ did for humanity through the cross. Christ broke the power of evil and death so that we could be released. On the cross, Christ took on our suffering. He took on our pain. He took on our troubles. He is the one who bore the wrath of God. He paid the penalty. I love that song, Above All Powers. You remember that song? There's a wonderful lyric a line that says, he took the fall and he thought of me. He became the sacrifice. He became the substitute. At the cross, his body was broken so that we would be healed. At the cross, he died so that we might receive life. He endured what we could never endure. There was a divine exchange. Jesus bore the judgment. We receive mercy. That's the miracle of the cross. So our salvation and our, and our healing is based upon Christ's experience on the cross of what he achieved for us. This is completely outside of our own experience. Jesus purchased it with his own blood. And so no one in all the world, none of us here could ever save ourselves, could ever heal ourselves. It was Christ's work on the cross. Amen. Even In fact, 1 Peter 2.24, another reference for you, 1 Peter 2.24, Peter just finishes talking about how Christ has bore our sins, but then he says, by whose stripes you were healed. He was whipped for our healing. Christ made the way. Uh, and I love Isaiah 53, or Isaiah 53 verses 4 to 5, it backs this up and it shows that Jesus' healing ministry on the cross is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. It says this, Surely he has borne our griefs. Another word for that is sicknesses. Yet we esteemed his, him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But yet he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And so this scripture proves that Jesus would bear the sickness and pain on the cross. This was foretold even back into the Old Testament. Now today people might say, well, of course, so, so how was anybody ever healed before the cross? Especially in the Old Testament, we see so many people, people being healed. But see, Jesus healed before the cross in the same way that he forgave people before the cross. Just in the same way that God forgave and healed people a thousand years before the cross. God gave healing and forgiveness before the cross. How? On the basis of what he was going to do for them on the cross. In other words, he healed and he forgave them on credit. And so we must never forget, friends, the power of the cross when it comes to, to healing. That has made a way not only for salvation, but for our healing. That's why we sing the songs that we do about the cross. Amen. That's why we remind ourselves about the cross, because the cross is so central in our belief system. As soon as we divert from that, we lose our focus that Jesus is the Savior and the healer. 
And so I'd like to now just look a little bit more practically at some of Jesus' healing ministry because we can learn so much from Jesus as the master of how healing works today. The Gospels show Jesus ministering to ordinary people, young people, old people. He ministers to people who are on the edge of society or on the, the outcasts uh, and people who are suffering from all kinds of different diseases. He healed all kinds of conditions. Here's a list of some of them. Quadriplegics, paraplegia, a severed ear, a withered hand, blind eyes, those with leprosy, those with fevers, deafness and death. And so when we're considering the, 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 the ministry of Jesus, the wonderful news is that we are called to nothing short than what he modeled and demonstrated. That's our birthright. These are the things that we can walk in today, that we can see a restoration of. Jesus said, you will do more things, you will do greater things when I ascend to the heaven, when I ascend on high. And so uh, one of the, the most impressive uh, healings that I came across, even just in the last nine to 12 months um, or so, was, was from a friend in Canada um, whose son was involved in a, in a traumatic accident playing rugby. And he went in for, for a tackle with other players that were piling on top of him. Anyway, they got up and he didn't. Anyway, he ended up in hospital, uh, unable to move his limbs. He had a spinal injury and it was suspected that um, uh, he was paralyzed due to this spinal injury. Doctors were saying that he, uh, doubtful that he would ever walk again, not able to move. And so what happened? The friends and family went to prayer. And the wonderful news is that today, he is now moving his limbs. He is walking. He is now getting restored movement. And God is restoring movement back to him just like he had before. Isn't that wonderful news? And so Jesus is still able to heal bodies. And you will have testimonies, I'm sure, of how God has done a healing in your body. I remember just a couple of years ago, in fact, I, I was um, one of the staff at, uh, at KT. I encourage you to get the staff of KT to pray for you now, now and again. But I had a, an injured knee, and it was from playing sport and um, uh, playing football, in fact. And, um, and uh, I asked one of the, the staff to, to pray for my knee. And uh, in an instant, after they prayed and laid hands on my knee, the pain was completely gone, just like that. Isn't that wonderful? And so God is the one who removes pain. He brings movement back into bodies. He can do everything that he modeled back in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If we look at Jesus' ministry, you will notice that Jesus was often ministering to large gatherings. He was ministering to big crowds. But Scripture doesn't suggest that he went around seeking the attention of the crowds or seeking the attention of uh, to trying to get people's attention. The crowds were seeking him. They were amazed by his teaching. They were amazed at the, by the signs and the wonders, the things that he was teaching. In other words, they'd never seen anything like this before. They, they knew about the things about the Old Testament, but they'd never seen this happen in their day. And so people would gather, and, and, and he would have a massive following. He was the face of the glory of God. He was walking out amongst them, touching people, healing them. And so people were amazed by all these things that were happening, by the signs and wonders and so they sought him all over the place. They gate-crashed people's homes just to be where he was. They went wherever he was. In fact, for Jesus, it was probably the case that he was trying to get a break from the crowds. That's why sometimes he hopped in a boat, got over and across the lake so he could just get some time alone. But it's not unlike today where 
when people hear that Jesus is moving in a place, they want to go and be where he's moving. People will sometimes pay big money just to go to a place in the world where God is moving. God is doing something. And, you know, KT have experienced that, that ourselves. Here we had a season uh, a number of years ago where God was using Gypsy William Lee, who was mentioned just earlier on. He's gone now to be with the Lord. But God used him within a, a, a space of time of two years where God was using him to lay hands on the sick and many, many, many people being healed and saved. And so as we look at Jesus' ministry, we see that, that he would also stop at places where people were. Sometimes he would go to dinner parties. Sometimes he would go to, to, to dinner gardens or maybe a grave or a pool, synagogues. But interestingly, most of the miracles that Jesus did, they happened when he was on en route somewhere. He was going to a certain destination. In other words, he was on a journey. And I think that's encouraging for us because I'm, I'm sure that's how God wants to use us as well. When we're going about our normal uh, day life, or maybe it's at work or college, wherever it is, we need to be aware that God can use us as we're on point from A to B. Amen? En route to destination. Uh, as we see in Jesus' ministry, he, he ministered to people in two main ways. Um, he responded to human requests, and so people would come to him and say, can, please, will you heal me, or will you please heal my family member or my child? But he also responded to divine instruction, and so the Holy Spirit would also lead him to a person. There were also cases where people were so desperate that they would, they would you know, chase wherever Jesus was. You remember, remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood? You remember that story? Where she came to Jesus in her desperation, and she reached out to Jesus' garment, garments. In other words, Jesus didn't reach out to her. She reached out to him. And Jesus knew this because he felt power leave him and she was healed. And so her faith in, in Jesus activated the healing anointing of Jesus in her body. And so faith preceded the healing. God rewarded her for her faith. And so we see that all of this activity that was taking place in the New Testament of Jesus healing. And so what was the result? The results were that people got saved. The results were that the news of the miracles started to spread all over the place. People started to sense the awe and the wonder of God. And the same is true today. When healings take place, people get saved. When healings take place, the news spreads. It's a testimony, a testament that Jesus is alive and he's still doing what he did 2,000 years ago. I remember, well, a prophetic word that was given by a, a prophet who has been here a few times, someone who has ministered here at KT, and he spoke a prophecy about stadiums one day being filled with the glory of the Lord, people who are paralyzed starting to walk, healing starting to break out all over the place, news reporters saying that we don't have much to report tonight but we just have good news that people are being raised from the dead. Paralyzed people are walking. People in their hospital beds are being taken to these meetings and they're being healed. Catherine Coleman once prophesied, one day the glory of God will be so strong that miracles and healings will take place everywhere. And the wonderful news, friends, is that God, and this is how it applies for us, God wants to raise you to be the agents of healing. God wants to move through you. We are God's vehicle. We are Jesus' hands and feet. And so the anointing that rested upon Jesus, 
has now been released upon his body. The anointing that rested upon Jesus Christ as the head has now flown, uh, started to flow through the body. Jesus only has one body. And that's the body, that's us, who he has chosen to manifest himself. Amen? I remember a number of years ago, our senior minister, Colin, uh, said this phrase. I'll never forget it. I've always remembered it today. That, that God dwells, his, dwells in his house and then he moves through his body. In other words, Jesus fills his house. Who's his house? That's us. Jesus fills us and then he moves through us. And we see how this happened in the book of Acts when Jesus... Just as he promised, he sent the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon his followers that would birth the early church. Why did he do this? So that we would continue what Jesus started. To heal. No longer a job just for the elite few, but for the whole body to be mobilized. Jesus moves through his body. If Jesus wants to do something, he moves through his body. You see, Jesus had trained his disciples in the Gospels. He had taught them on the job. In fact, he had made sure that they were with him when he was actually healing the sick. And so when they had spent some time with him, when they'd spent those months with him, Jesus then gave them responsibility. So he trained them, then he gave them responsibility and delegated authority to do what he had been doing. And so they were able to speak healing. They were able to perform all these signs and wonders, healing in his name. But then, of course, Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus dies. But then Jesus is raised from the dead, and then he is ascended to heaven. But see, as powerful as Jesus was... He was only one man who could only ever be present at any one place at any one time. And see, this is the miracle of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, this means that the disciples were able to cover more land and more mass of people than ever one person could ever do. And so healing starts to break out everywhere. Why? Because the Spirit is breaking out everywhere upon the disciples. And so in Acts, we see the disciples operating in all kinds of signs and wonders. They're healing the sick. The blind eyes are opening. The paralyzed are walking. The dead are being raised. The cripples are, are, are walking. They're getting up. In other words, they're just doing everything that Jesus showed them how to do. And Jesus taught them how to, of course, minister to the outcasts of society, to those who were needy, to those who were beggars. And in fact, there's one account of the disciples. It says that, you know, soon after Pentecost, they uh, think it's maybe Acts 3 or Acts 4. And as they were traveling to a prayer meeting, they see this person and they commanded this crippled man to rise up and walk. Now, most people would have thought, well, that would happen after the prayer meeting. But actually, it was en route to the prayer meeting and this person got up and walked. And all of a sudden, the city became uh, very conscious of what God was doing. And so they were just obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were just available to what the Holy Spirit was doing. In Acts, healing was a major tool for church growth and evangelism. In fact, whole towns sometimes and whole cities were saved by one miracle that took place. And so we have this commission from Jesus that, of course, it goes out to us. It goes to believers all around the world that we are to obey the instructions that Jesus gave to the apostles. And that includes, of course, healing the sick. 
Now, some people today might, of course, receive a particular gift in healing. But, of course, the truth is, is that every one of us as God's house can flow in the move of healing. Do you believe that? Every one of us can flow in the gift of healing. And this is what's so significant, of course, about Pentecost. God can use all of us as agents of healing, more people who are spirit-filled to do the job. How many want to do the job? Amen. And that means as we're going about our normal routine life, we can all of a sudden become aware of God's healing presence. We can become aware that God wants to perform a healing in someone's life. Maybe some of you are more experienced that than others. But it's so important that we become aware that not only that God wants to heal, but we make ourselves available to flow in healing. And sometimes God is limited simply because we don't make ourselves available. We don't seek to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a student. How many disciples do we have this afternoon? Oh dear, how many disciples do we really have this afternoon? Okay, that's a bit of a better response. Okay, and so a disciple is a student. A disciple is a learner. It's kind of like that analogy of the, the master and his apprentice. In other words, the, the, the apprentice, he learns from the master, and then after he's done that, he starts to do the stuff himself. And so that means that the, the more connected we are to the heart of Jesus Christ, the more we connected we are to the presence of Jesus, the more use we are going to be to him, to flow in this whole area of, of healing. And the great news for us also is that this is a non-exclusive ministry. Young people can flow in this. Children can flow in this. Young people, youth, adults can flow in this. I believe God wants to raise youth, young people to flow in the, in the whole gift of healing. God wants to raise the young people to, to flow in this whole area, to be available to flow in this. And so God... As we've looked at this, we've looked at a number of different areas today. We've noticed that, that God, yes, healed in the Old Testament. God healed through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That the cross has purchased our salvation and our, our healing. But then this anointing for healing has come upon his body. Who's his body? That's us. This anointing has been passed on to his body. And so we've received this commission to continue what Jesus has started. And who knows how God might start to use you in your life in the whole area of healing as you seek to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Please stand with me. This is we draw to a close just for a few moments. like to encourage us just to open up our lives to the Holy Spirit this afternoon. Let's honor the presence of the Holy Spirit this afternoon. Let's welcome Him. I want to encourage you this afternoon to, to pray a prayer. Which is simply this, Lord, I'm available. You see, what the Holy Spirit is looking for is for open channels. He is looking for open channels through whom healing can actually flow through. 
And so the Holy Spirit not only wants to, of course, prompt us, but he wants to actually train us of how we can actually flow in this gift of healing. And so just even now, I want to encourage you just to open up your heart to the Lord and say, here I am, Lord. I want to flow in this area of healing. I want to be useful. So just in your heart, say, Holy Spirit, make me alert. Help me be watchful. Help me be more compassionate. Just go ahead and do that just for a couple of moments. Holy Spirit, I'm here. I'm available. Use me. Touch me. Touch my hands. Release fresh anointing upon me from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. I am a member of your body. And I want to flow in what you call me to flow in. Lord, I pray for every one of us here. We pray for the release of the anointing of healing to come upon every person, upon every life in this place. Lord, I pray for every misconception of who you are to fall to the wayside this afternoon. We pray, Father, for fresh revelation that you are the healer to fall upon every heart and mind. You know, there are so many people around you, friends. There are so many people around your your college, your workplace, so many people that you do life with that need healing, that need physical healing, that need emotional healing. And you are the vehicle through whom God can touch that person. And I want to encourage you, even as you go from here, say, Holy Spirit, I'm available. Every hour of the day, Holy Spirit, I'm available. I want to flow. Show me what I'm not seeing. Help me see what you see. Help me hear what you hear. I want to be open to the needs. I want to see the needs around me. Lord, we thank you for this whole series that we have looked at, this four-square gospel. Jesus, you are the Savior. You are the healer. You are the baptizer and the coming King. And we pray that you would raise us up as true Pentecostals to preach this message this message to our generation so Lord we would start to see an incredible miraculous sign of healing and signs and wonders of salvations around us in our workplace in our college place we say this all in your name and everyone said amen praise God God bless you